pretty spectacular passage, isn't it? It's fantastic. Let's, uh, let's explore it together. It's been described as uh, the mission statement of the Messiah. And so I thought we'd start with a little activity. Well, it's kind of like a quiz. There are right answers. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put up um, a mission statement for an organization, and you're going to tell me what the organization is. Dead easy. Yeah. Okay. First one. To be the Earth's... Can I just turn, turn me down a little bit, please? I'm starting to feed back a little bit. To be Earth's most consumer-centric company where customers can find and discover anything they might want to buy online and endeavors to offer its customers the lowest possible prices. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> By the way, I'm not endorsing any products here, okay? Right, all right, good. Okay, let's go for this one. To give people the power to share and make the world more open and connected. Okay, you're good at this. All right. To create a better everyday life for the many people. Clearly, it's not a dictionary. <laughs> to create a better everyday life for the many people. Who said that? Yes. I'm worried about you. <laughs> okay. And at the first service, someone just, oh, when they said that. And I said, that's clearly someone who tried to build a wardrobe. <laughs> to enable people and businesses throughout the world to realize their full potential. Seriously, have you seen the answers? <laughs> to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. I'm so pleased, Ian, that you laughed at that because it is Google, okay? How about to refresh the world in mind, body, and spirit, to inspire moments of optimism and happiness through our brands and actions, to create value and to make a difference? I didn't expect that. Kind of diametrically opposite. It is... Coca-Cola, <laughs> not Weight Watchers. Okay, another couple just to finish off. To be the ultimate house of luxury, defining style, creating desire now and forever. Let me tell you, it's not Primark. Jo John Lewis. <laughs> Chanel. Okay. To inspire and nurture the human spirit. One person, one cup, and one neighborhood at a time. Starbucks. Okay, and the final one, please. You're not going to let me down here, are you? Could be the most difficult one. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Starfleet from Star Trek. Well done. Famous mission statements. You can decide whether they live up to them or not. I don't know. But this passage, Isaiah 61, that's really quite familiar. This is the mission statement of the Messiah. The anointed one, the Hebrew word for anointed is Messiah. It leads to the word called Messiah, which leads to Messiah, the anointed one. These are the words of the person who we've been hearing about throughout the rest of Isaiah, the suffering servant, the righteous one, the servant of the, of the king, the king himself, the prince of peace, the one who's coming, the prophet, the priest, the king, the servant. Now we hear from him 
himself. And we hear what his words say. But these are the words that Jesus adopted at the very outset of his ministry. If you know the story, it's in in Luke uh, chapter 4. Jesus has um, been baptized by John. The Spirit has come upon him in bodily form. And then it says the Spirit took him into the desert where he was tempted. And whenever he's battled with the enemy for that length of time, then the Spirit, Jesus, full of the Spirit, goes to Nazareth, his hometown. And he goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as is his custom. And it's his family's turn to read the Scriptures. And so the scroll is passed to him as the eldest. And so he unfolds it. It's a script. It's the Scripture of Isaiah. He opens it up and goes to Isaiah 61. This is the job description of Messiah, the anointed one, the one that they've been waiting for. And Jesus reads it out and says, The Spirit is on me because He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to release freedom for the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. He says this. He rolls up the scroll. He goes and sits down. And then he interprets it. And he said, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, I don't know if you are a fan of the TV series or the movie, Mission Impossible. But you know, at the beginning of each of the episodes or of the movie, there's a bit of a, a, bit of a, a, a word that's said, something like, Mr. Hunt, your mission... Should you choose to accept it? Well, here's the mission of Messiah. This is Jesus saying, I choose to accept it. I choose to accept it. This is fulfilled today. The Spirit is on me. The Spirit of God, the Sovereign Lord, is on me. And then we, we roll over the next word, but it's key. It's key this morning. I really felt God kind of focused me on this to kind of share as one point. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because, because, the Spirit doesn't just stop with Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is given for a purpose, not for a spiritual fix. So whether you are a raving charismatic swinging from the chandeliers, hands down for coffee, or you're a contemplative mystic that sits and meditates on the Word of God, It doesn't matter if you think that it's about you getting a spiritual fix. You are wrong. The Spirit of God is given for a purpose. There's a reason the Holy Spirit was given to Jesus. There's a reason the Holy Spirit is given for us. Otherwise, we verge on the dangerous ground of selfish spirituality. We grow fat on the experiences of God, not realizing it's meant to be given away. The Spirit of God is given for a purpose. Do you know the picture of um, this phrase, all the gear, no idea? The person who's got the top um, waterproof coat, the best boots, the salopettes, the gaiters, the, the, the skis, the pickaxes, the compasses and everything. And then they sit down and watch Ski Sunday. <laughs> All the gear, no idea. That's the danger. That's the danger of us getting lots of spiritual experiences and keeping it to ourselves. It's been given for a purpose. If our engagement with God and our desire to be filled with Him is not fuel for mission, surely something's gone wrong. Not experience the Holy Spirit? Maybe a challenge is, have you any need to? Or are you just wanting a fix, a little boost, a spiritual vitamin pill to make you feel good for the day ahead? 
That's all really good. I love worship experiences, but they don't stop there. The Spirit is on me because the Lord has anointed me to do something. To do something. And what is it that the Lord has anointed the Messiah to do? He has anointed him to preach good news to the poor. One of the worst bits of biblical teaching I've ever heard was based on this. Whenever I heard a guy say, he preached good news to the poor. Good news to, what else is good news to the poor? But that they will be rich. Frankly, I wanted to punch the guy. In Christian love. Because it's misunderstanding. This is not about poor. This is not about bank balance. This is about people who are victims, who are humble, who are pious, who have been broken. I am coming to give good news to the broken, the victim. This is not about bank balance, to the last, the least, and the lost. Spirit is on me to preach, but you go, but I'm no preacher. I couldn't stand at the front and deliver a sermon. I don't know all the mysteries of the Christian faith. I couldn't preach. Preaching is a really bad word to, to translate it. Actually, it's about telling. It's about announcing. It is about proclaiming. And then, almost like a, you know, a trained parrot, maybe we come up with St. Francis of Assisi, the evangelistic get-out-of-jail-free card. In every way, preach the gospel, and then if necessary, use words. Oh, that's all right then. I don't need to say anything. I can just be nice, and then people will become Christians. I'm sorry to burst the bubble, but Jesus used words. So this uh, terminology that people say that, you know, actions speak louder than words, my life speaks, that's my witness. Unless your life proclaims the good news more clearly and more eloquently and concisely than the Son of God himself, then I'm sorry, you need to start speaking up because Jesus used words. We have to not just rely on being nice. The reason is because when we tell people good news, in the power of the Holy Spirit, lives are transformed. And we have seen this most assuredly over the past few months, where lives are transformed because people have been brave enough just to share a little bit of their story of what Jesus has done in their life. And it has transformed other people's lives. We've seen it. If we don't speak about why we do what we do, if we don't speak about Jesus, if we don't speak about the transforming nature of his grace, then all we are are nice people doing nice things. And at best, glory goes to the church. At very least, it goes to humanity. That's nice, lovely people. At worst, the glory goes to you. When all of this is about the glory going to God, So what is this good news that Messiah is to bring? Messiah is to stitch up the broken. To free the kidnapped. That's a better word than prisoner. The word actually is the Hebrew for taken. Free the kidnapped, the captive. And the reason why, if you look in the Luke's passage, what Jesus says and Isaiah 61, there's a little bit of difference in the translations because Jesus used a, probably used an Aramaic translation called the Septuagint. But the essential meaning is not about oppressed and darkness. It's about light to the darkness, opening the eyes of those who can't see. It means the same thing. Bind up the broken. Announce freedom for the kidnapped and light for the darkness. 
because the victims are damaged. A couple of questions. Do you know anyone in these kind of situations? Have you or are you one of those people? Because I've been and I've met lots of people over this past little while in particular, lots of people who are broken, who have broken hearts through the mistakes that they've made in their lives, some of their life choices that they're still facing the consequences of, or because they are the victims of other people's choices that have damaged them. There are a lot of people who are broken out there who need stitching up and healing. Maybe you know people who are, best way to describe them, captives. Captives do lots of different things. Caught, kidnapped, trapped in their addictions from porn to heroin to alcohol to gambling to spending to unhealthy patterns and thoughts, unhealthy patterns of behavior, trapped in cycles of resentment, unforgiveness, and cynicism. Perhaps you're one of those people or you definitely know someone who is a prisoner who could do with being told you are free. Or perhaps you know people who are just blind who are stumbling around trying to find the meaning of life and they have completely disregarded the church because of whatever reason, whether because they've been damaged, because it doesn't look cool enough or whatever. And they are stumbling around in the dark and they so need the light switching on. Scripture says that people's eyes have been blinded by the prince of this world. If you want a synopsis of why Jesus came to this world, this is 1 John 3. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the evil one. If there were no works of the evil one, if there was no sin, Jesus wouldn't have had to have come. The reason he appeared was to dismantle the works of the evil one. And it goes on to say, and to announce the year of the Lord's favor. That's a complex phrase, I know, but it sounds good, doesn't it? To announce the year of the Lord's favor. How we understand this, we need to, you can look if you want, but it's back in Leviticus 25. And the year of the Lord's favor is equated to the year of Jubilee. And it was part of the system that that God set up for the people of Israel, how to organize their lives. And how you organized it is that for every seven years, after seven years, you left the ground fallow in order to recover. It was a Sabbath year. But after seven of these, after 49 years, he said, right, it's like a mega Sabbath. And we're going to call it the year of Jubilee. It's actually called the year of the ram's horn, is the literal translation. Because at the beginning of the year, they would take the shofar, which we've actually got one up at Lisa's office, and they would blow the shofar at the beginning of the year to announce the beginning of the year of Jubilee. And this is what happened during those times. You can look them up. Debts were canceled that couldn't be repaid. Slaves who'd sold themselves into slavery to cover costs were freed. Land was returned to families. And if you read it, I actually read it by mistake at the 915, a whole series of... and. It all depends on what point of the year that you've sold the property, how much you need to pay back. And it was taken, it was, people were taken care of. No one was fleeced in this redistribution of wealth because all the wealth that the people of Israel had originally were given by God anyway. And so this redistribution was for two reasons. One, so that there was not generational and systemic and endemic poverty. So every 50 years, you got back your freedom your household, to be able to make money again. It also prevented the rich getting mega rich on the back of other people because they had to give back what was actually belonging to someone else. 
Did Israel do this? I don't know. I suspect they didn't because the prophets keep on going on about the fact that they oppressed the poor. They didn't sort things out. They took advantage. So I'm guessing Jubilee didn't happen the way it was meant to be. Jubilee was all about fresh starts. Is that not the heart of the gospel of Jesus as well? You can have a fresh start. It was the reset button. Do you know when everything goes wrong on your phone or your computer and you go, I don't know what to do. So you kind of just go to that reset, go back factory settings. It was God's way of resetting society to get it right this time. Do you ever want to start over? In big ways and small ways? I really wish I could start over. That is the message of Jesus as he stands up and says, today, this is fulfilled in your presence. Luke 4, 14 to 21. This is Jesus blowing the ram's horn. This is Jesus inaugurating the year of the Lord's favor. What year is this, by the way? You don't trust me, do you? You always think there's going to be a twist to this. 2009. Fantastic. Is that the full title of the year? If you mumble, it doesn't mean you've answered. 2018 AD. AD, Anno Domini. AD, the year of the Lord and His favor. We are in the 2018th year of the Lord's favor, approximately. Depends on yeah, timings. We are in the era of the Lord's favor, the era of grace. How many people do you know Maybe you yourselves have a picture of God as some kind of draconian schoolmaster ready to whip you when you get it wrong in any way, shape, or form, even when you intend to do right and you get it wrong. He's just ready to smite you. Is that the picture you have or you know people have? What a refreshing thing to be told. This is the year of the Lord's favor for you. He is on your side. How much would you... They, we love to know that favor of God. And what does it look like? Well, one of the key words I kind of revealed there a moment ago is, is the word instead in this passage. Instead. So what happens with instead in this passage? Well, instead of ashes, instead of mourning, instead of despair and shame and disgrace, how about beauty? How about some joy? How about instead of being despairing, being filled with praise? Instead of shame, having an inheritance that shouldn't be yours. In fact, have a double inheritance. And what that actually means is instead of disgrace, you belong to a father who loves you. Is that not a good instead of? This is what the gospel of Jesus offers. This is Jesus' mission and then look for it's his public acceptance of it. And people thought, great, we'll love this. Have you noticed that people often think that Jesus got into trouble in Nazareth because he claimed to be the Messiah? That's not accurate. They loved him claiming to be the Messiah. Read it in Luke 4. They kind of go, hey, it's Joseph's son, local boy done good, he's going to be Messiah, yay. Then Jesus says, yeah, but it's for more than Israel. And then they go, kill him. Talk about a fickle crowd. (laughs) 
because they were presuming that this is for us. This stops with us to make us feel good and put us in charge again. And Jesus says, no, it's for the Gentile. It's for the Gentile officer. It's for the widow in Zarephath. It's for the people who are beyond Israel. And they go, no, we can't handle that. Kill him. Their vision was too small. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever experienced the touch of freedom that Jesus, only Jesus can give? Have you experienced the healing touch where you have felt broken and damaged? Do you ever, have you ever felt stitched up? Have you ever felt comforted in the moments of mourning and grief and despair? Have you ever felt that strengthening in the moments where you just don't know how you can keep on going? Have you experienced a sense of eye-opening and seeing the truth and seeing Jesus and all the beauty that he has? Have you experienced it? If you have, they certainly have. <laughs> You've no idea how apt that is because I want you to look in Isaiah 61 verse 10. Because for people who've experienced this, this is what happens. Yeah, we read Isaiah 61 verse 10 and it says, um, what, what, how does, just give me the quote again quickly, the first line. Yeah, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. There's an old chorus like that. Maybe it even calls to mind. This doesn't even scratch the surface. This is what it really means. I am utterly overjoyed by the Lord. My soul literally shakes with excitement in my God. Let me tell you, the church of Jesus in this nation is not being accused of overenthusiasm. <laughs> because I think we've lost the wonder of this word instead. And the wonder of this freedom. I am utterly overjoyed in the Lord. My soul shakes with excitement. I'm giddy like them. I think the Lord prompted them. Because when captives are freed, it makes a difference. It says, he has clothed me. He has clothed my shameful, despairing, filthy nakedness. And what has he clothed me in? Garments of salvation and robes of righteousness. And what this picture is, is of a tramp in, in the gutter covered in muck. And someone coming along and saying, here, let me put on a wedding dress for you, my dear. Let me put on a groom's outfit. Let me do a complete makeover on you. Because we don't go to a wedding when it's our own, dressed in our kind of crocs and our shorts that we've just been doing the gardening in, do we? We get a nice dress we get our makeup done, and that's just the men. <laughs> we make an effort, and we end up becoming resplendent. And so this person is giddy because they were in the gutter, and now they are the guest of honor at a banquet, and they've been clothed in clothing that's not theirs, but they look fantastic. If you haven't experienced that joy, you've not spoken to some of the people we have recently who've done the Alpha course, who've been gone through CAP and through Food Bank and through Job Club and who've had their lives utterly transformed. You need to speak to people like this because they are overjoyed and giddy with excitement that they have been redeemed. Seriously, talk to them because when, when captives are freed, when the broken are cared for and tended and healed, when the blind and the darkened see the light, when the mourning and the despairing are comforted and encouraged, and the shame and the disgraced are honored and given dignity in the name of Jesus, it is worth celebrating, it is worth announcing, and we need to get on with it. Amen. But the other thing <laughs> is that these people are noticed. 
I don't know how many of you have ever come across an oak tree, but let me tell you, if you run at it, it will win. (laughs) An oak tree is hard to miss. It says these people will be like oaks of righteousness, declaring the splendor of the Lord. Not how nice the church are, not how lovely a community. These are oaks that scream and shout, the Lord is good and he has saved me. They are oaks of righteousness and people will notice. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with Jesus. The Spirit didn't pour it on Jesus and then he just stayed there going, yeah, this is nice for me. It didn't stop with Jesus going and helping other people. It didn't stop there. It says, they will. Who are they? Well, the they, and this is really hard for me, the they are those who've experienced the freedom, who've been captives and are now freed. They're the ones who've been healed from being broken. They're the ones who have been had their eyes open, the ones who've needed to hear that the Lord is on their side and not against them. That's who the they is. The they is us. And what will the they do? They will rebuild. They will restore. They will renew what is broken. They will continue the work of the Messiah. Continue the work of the Son of God, which is to destroy the works of the evil one. What's that? If the the evil one's here to destroy, the opposite of destroy is build, restore, renew. That is the kingdom of God. And that's heard in these passages. Mission statement. I was risking just sticking that mission statement up and seeing if anyone knew what it belonged to, but I didn't want to risk that. Meet God, meet friends, make a difference. That is our church's mission statement. To engage with God, to engage with one another, but to make a difference for the kingdom of God in Jesus' name. That's what our vision is, to renew, rebuild, restore. We've heard those words again and again and again over this past while. God has been saying these words over us. That's what our mission is. We've heard it through Isaiah, renew, restore, rebuild. And that's what next door is about, the house. If you think for a moment the house next door is about a comfy community lounge to make people, people feel a little bit better, if you think it's some kind of social action project or a social services pointer, well, no, it's not. Next door, the house, the home, the place where people can encounter Father God is about gospel. It's about jubilee. It's about favor. It's about healing, freedom, comfort, opening blind eyes and releasing captives. It is about fresh starts. That's what it's about. Rebuild, renew, restore. It's the mission of God. So whether it's been through Job Club, through CAP, through Food Bank, through Do You Know Him, through Alpha, we have seen and been blessed to see people's lives utterly transformed from the point of death, and I'm not joking, to wanting to live and to tell people that Jesus has done this. I'm telling you, these guys have been given the book of Christian cliches and they're using them to the extreme because they're talking about their hearts being warmed, that life is more beautiful now, the fact they want to live and tell others about Jesus. There's one woman who um, was so happy, filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit, and she went home. Um, her kids said, why are you so happy? She said, it's the Holy Spirit. And they said, well, can you take it back? It's freaking us out. <laughs> Because it's noticeable, there is a difference. And people want to let people know about Jesus. 
People who've experienced that want others to know. They were broken and now it's not perfect, but they are on the mend. They realize what's happened. They have been saved from shame and despair. They have been saved to joy and purpose. All Christians have, but I think if we're long in the tooth, we've probably forgotten the joy of it. Talk to some of these guys. You might just capture a bit of it. It's live for them. So Isaiah 61 is the Messiah's mission statement. Luke chapter 4, Jesus says, I accept. We've been challenged to not keep the Spirit to ourselves, but to go out in the power of the Spirit. So your mission is very clear. It's the same as Jesus. Your mission, should you choose to accept it? And in good Mission Impossible tradition, this message (laughs) will not self-destruct in five seconds. Let's pray together. We're going to pray. Sarah's going to lead us in some music in the background, but we're going to pray using Isaiah 61 and the mission of God to influence our prayers. So we're gonna, I'm going to lead you in this. There will be some space for you to either pray in your heart or indeed to share brief prayers out loud to God and we can amen them with you. But the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord was on Jesus, the Messiah, the Anointed One, and His Spirit has been given to us. Because we've been appointed and anointed with the Spirit to proclaim, announce, and tell good news to the victims. Those who are poor and humble. He has sent us those who are broken. In the space, that Holy Spirit prompts you about those people in your life, in your life circle, who are broken. Alongside that, if any of these are relevant to you, then please feel free to come to the front. We've got a prayer team who will pray these truths over you. Team want to come up, that'll be fun.